I want to talk to you today about the implications of the resurrection. An implication, as you know, is a conclusion that can be drawn from something, in this case, from the resurrection of Jesus. A conclusion that can be drawn from something, although that conclusion isn't stated explicitly. So we're going to talk today about things that we believe to be true, even though they're not necessarily stated explicitly, but we believe them to be true because they're based on something that is stated as truth and something that has been found to be true, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. So to say that their implications doesn't mean that they're not true. We believe they are. It just means that they're not stated explicitly, but they're conclusions drawn from the truth. And so we're going to look at the implications of the resurrection and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. Most of our reading will be from here, but we'll also read some other, other verses, other passages. We're going to start with 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I have a lot of great memories of celebrating Easter and and Holy Week leading up to Easter as a child uh, growing up. My dad was a pastor I was born in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, and he and my mom served churches in Mexico and here in the States, here in Texas and in California, for many, many years. And, and so during those times that they were pastoring, uh, we, of course, cel- uh, celebrated and marked Holy Week, and Easter was a great celebration. And I just remember growing up, uh, those celebrations, I remember the songs we sang. And sometimes I can still hear my dad singing some songs uh, about the crucifixion, some songs about the resurrection. And uh, it was a great time. My parents uh, taught me about God. They taught me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was old enough to understand the gospel, to understand what it, what it meant and what it asked and required of me, then I gave my life to, to Jesus. And uh, in my teen years and uh, high school and my college years, I, I made decisions over and over, that reinforced my initial decision to follow Jesus. I could have chosen, like, like any one of you, I could have chosen to abandon the road that I was taught to follow. But I didn't. Uh, with God's grace, and it was all God's grace, it was none of, of my own strength, but with God's grace, with God's help, I continued to, to choose to follow Jesus. And as I became more educated, and I became more experienced As an adult in in the ways of our secular culture, I could have chosen to turn my back on the gospel. But again, God sustained me. Uh, God promises that he will keep us until that day in which Jesus will return. And, And he certainly did that and continues to do that. And so I thank God for that. So I can say that from my childhood, I have taken my stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in in verse 1. I want to remind you uh, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. And I can say that I have taken my stand. 
I've seen other, other beliefs and I've seen other options and I've considered other things throughout my education especially. But I can say that I've taken my stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was saved by it and I hold firmly to it. Everything I am and everything I do centers around the gospel. The gospel that Paul writes about, the gospel is a filter by which I view everything in this world. I don't necessarily use a political ideology to filter things and how I respond to things. But I use the gospel of Jesus Christ as a filter by which I view everything. It's a standard by which I measure every activity in my life. And I can truly say that it is a power of God, as Paul said to the Romans. It's a power of God for salvation in my life. And this is the gospel in which I stand. But that raises the question then, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? If we're going to be sold out to it, and if we're going to take our stand, as Paul writes in verse 1, firmly on the gospel, then we must know what it is. And we must know what it is well enough to explain it to others. Because if we can't even explain it, then do we really know what the gospel is? Well, in this passage we just read, Paul condenses the gospel into two main points. Two main points. He says, Jesus died. And he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. In fact, look at, look at verse 3 again. If you look down at your, at your uh, Bible, once again, verse 3, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the first point. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried. Here's the second point. That he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. So he's saying the gospel is Jesus died and he was buried. And the fact that he was buried gives it the finality, right? That we know when somebody, when somebody's buried, we know, okay, this is final. You know, before, when we lose a loved one, before the burial, we're, we're dealing with it. We're processing the pain. But uh, when, when the final step of the, the burial comes and it's almost like we can rest. It's still painful, but we know we're going to wait for the resurrection. So there's a finality. He, was, he died and he was buried. And then he says he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, most of you uh, know my our oldest granddaughter uh, is Karis, who's uh, four years old. And Karis is a she's she's a happy child. Um, her, in fact, one of her teachers commented and described her as she she's just kind of in her and with a smile, just kind of in her own little world. And she is she, she lives in her own little world and. And uh, we're all her supporting, uh, you know, actors and actresses for her own, her own little world. As to give you an idea, this uh, this week I went to her school. They had a little program, and then they were going to have a, uh, an Easter egg hunt for the kids. And so Karis performed with the with the classmates. It was all very very cute, very nice, nicely done. And then their teacher, they were outside. They were actually at a park, and the, their teacher, Karis's teacher, gave them instructions. So she said this. Uh, she, she said, okay, those of you in pre-K, she said, your Easter eggs are over there. Right? They're all watching the kids. They're over there, and there's some more over there. So when I say go, you can run over there, or you can run over there and go get your Easter, Easter eggs. Okay, you got this? All the kids, yes, okay. Ready, set, go. And all the kids went over there, and Karis turned around and went over there. She's like... Kelly was beside herself. Karis, what are you doing? Get back over here. She was going somewhere else. It's like her own little world. But, but this week also, she did get something much more important than Easter eggs. 
right. She, she got the gospel right. And, and uh, her mom had been, had been talking to her about what the gospel is. And uh, so you'll see her. We're going to watch this little 40-second clip of her. And you'll see what I mean by she's just, you know, she's eating candy. She seems to be distracted. But suddenly she just says what the gospel is. She says it exactly the same way that Paul says it here in this letter to the First Corinthians. So let's watch this, this video. What Easter is all about. Remember we talked about this in the car. What is the real meaning, the true meaning of Easter? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> but who did we talk about? Look at me. Who did we talk about? Karis. Who did we talk about? Jesus did what? Um. He died. Uh huh. And then. And he rose up. And then. It's Easter. Perfect. He died and he rose up. It's Easter. That's it. Right? From an understanding of, of children, from the mouth of babes, the Bible says, we get that truth that Paul spoke about. Jesus died and he rose again. That's the gospel. And we stake our claim on the gospel. We take our stand on the gospel. And so I want to talk about the resurrection. He died on the he died and he rose again on the third day. The resurrection is what we're celebrating today and the question is why does the resurrection matter? Why is it important? Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no reason for the Christian faith to even exist. None whatsoever. This is a conclusion that Paul, who was a chief proponent and a chief apologist for the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul, this is a conclusion that he stated so well in the same chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this world, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. What Paul is saying is that our faith is so tied to the in the flesh resurrection of Jesus that if it didn't really happen, then we here today... Me and you, all of us, have got to be the most pathetic people on the planet because we have staked our lives on a fairy tale. But then he says in the very next verse, But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Now listen to, carefully to that. He has, the fact is, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest. Uh, some other versions say he is the, the first fruits. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So, in fact, it is a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm not going to go into any detail today about the evidences that prove that Jesus 
did in fact rise from the dead. The evidences are many. There are many. They're documented. They're well documented. Any serious student, uh, any serious skeptic can, through very careful investigation, find the evidences that point to the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. There's a man by the name of Lee Strobel, who is an apologist. Uh, in, in, you know, initially, before he became a Christian, he's an apologist now for the Christian faith. But before he was saved, he was an atheist. He worked in Chicago. For, he was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And he was an atheist. And he was very unhappy. <clears throat> excuse me. He was very unhappy one day when his wife started going to church. And then when she confessed Jesus as her Savior, he was very angry. So he set out to prove through his, he, he was an investigative reporter, through his investigation, he set out to prove that the resurrection was a fairy tale. He began to interview scholars. He began to look at, at some uh, um, ancient writings. He, he began to compare, study, research. After two years... He came to the conclusion, as much as he didn't want to admit it, he came to the conclusion that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ as well. And so, uh, in fact, he's written some great books. Um, the Case for Christ is a very good book. If you'd like to read, I would look that one up, The Case for Christ. He's also uh, written The Case for Faith. The Case for Easter is, is a little book that's taken from The Case for Christ. His latest book is called The Case for Miracles. In fact, The Case for Christ was turned into a movie. It might still be on Netflix. If you haven't seen this, I highly recommend it. It's a true story. It's well done. It's called The Case for Christ. It's the story of Lee Strobel. And so there are many evidences, many evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. But uh, what I really want to talk about in my remaining time is what does the fact, what does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead mean to us today? What are the implications? What are the conclusions that we can draw from this? Because if, if we don't really understand what it means for us today, then it's, you know, it's a great story. It's a fascinating story. It makes for, for great drama, but it's not going to have any real effect on our lives. So what does it mean that Jesus was raised from the dead? What are the implications? What are the conclusions we can draw from this resurrection, from His resurrection? There are many more than uh, what I can really... A cover today. There, there are many more than we have time for. But I want to focus on just three uh, conclusions, three answers, three implications that I think are very powerful in my remaining time. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus means that the Christian faith is truly unique among world religions. It's truly unique among world religions. One of the greatest misconceptions of our day is that all religions are basically the same. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker that says coexist? And it's got the symbols of all the different religions, major religions of the world. Hey, we, let's just get along. Coexist. Because the, the misconception is that they're all basically the same. Because they're all basically different ways to get to the same goal. Different pathways to the same goal. But that, that simply isn't true. It's not true. Now, certainly, Christianity shares some moral and ethical principles with some of the other religions of the world. That's true. But in the case of Christianity, these moral and ethical principles that we share with other religions, those aren't the main thing. The main thing 
The reason Christianity started in the first place and the reason it survived against all odds is a belief and the conviction that God entered this world as a human being and then he rose from the dead after being brutally executed. And there is no other religion and there is no other spiritual pathway that has anything close to that as its foundational truth. And so I think it's important to remember uh, that because it's very easy... Listen to this, it's very easy for us to begin thinking of the Christian faith as just another good, and there maybe we think, oh, there's many of those good religions, it's another good self-help or self-improvement program or religion. It's just another option. It's, it's out there, it's another option. You can choose it. If it works for you, you can choose Christianity. But if it doesn't, you can choose something else. But that's not, that's not at all what Christianity is. The Christian faith is primarily about what God has done for us to raise us, to improve us, to save us. Something that we could not do for ourselves. So that kind of raises another interesting question. I think it's an important question because it, this question is out there. People I've heard... I've heard this question. People ask this question. And that says, do you really have to believe in, or do I really have to believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus in order to be a Christian? Do I have to believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus in order to be a Christian? I mean, if you're going to be a, a Christian, do you really need to believe that Jesus was dead and then on the third day he rose again? Do I really need to Because, you know... In terms of beliefs, that's, that belief is kind of kind of out there, right? We say that kinda, that's kind of out there. It's kind of iffy. You know, that's in terms of what we see happening in everyday life. You know, people just don't die and then come back to life and then stay alive forever. That doesn't happen. So I want to be a Christian, but I, do I really have to believe in that? Well, I, I think and, and I hope that you can see from what Paul wrote to the Corinthians that belief in the resurrection of Jesus is totally necessary because that's what our faith is based on. It's based on the resurrection. It's what distinguishes the Christian faith. It's what makes our faith unique. But yes, to answer the question, yes, we have to believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus if we are going to call ourselves Christians. Here's the way Paul says that in Romans 10 in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, he writes this. If you declare with your mouth, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. But he tells us clearly how we profess our faith. Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There is no salvation apart from, from faith that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's not an optional belief. And so that's, that's the first conclusion, the first implication, that the resurrection of Jesus means that Christian faith is unique among world religions. The second one is this. The resurrection of Jesus means that our salvation goes far beyond forgiveness and heaven when you die. A lot of times that's, what, that's the way we see our faith. Forgiveness and heaven when we die. And, and certainly that's true. But that's really what most people expect out of Christianity. 
forgiveness and heaven when you die. That's really their hope. Their hope is forgiveness and heaven when I die. That's my hope in Christianity. And that's, that's part of it. It's a very important part of it. Because as Christians, we, we spend a lot of time talking about this, about the forgiveness of sin. And we should. We, you know, we do that correctly, rightly so, talking about forgiveness. We talk about heaven when we die. That's true. We have loved ones who died in Christ, and we know they're in heaven today. We believe that. That's great. It's wonderful. It's true. It's brought great comfort to people who have lost loved ones. And rightly so. But if that's all God wanted to accomplish, if all He wanted to accomplish is forgiveness and heaven when we die, then the cross would have been enough. The cross would have been enough. There was no reason for a resurrection. Jesus could have just died. Then after His death, He could have gone up as a spirit, back to heaven, back to His rightful place. But that wasn't enough because that's not the only hope we have as Christians. In, in a mind-blowing, shocking twist, He was raised from the dead because the salvation that God wants to work in us, the salvation that God wants to give us in this whole sin-cursed world goes way beyond just forgiveness and heaven when we die. The salvation includes something that Jesus did when He rose from the dead because we read that Jesus is a prototype. He's the first fruits. He's a harvest of many more that are to come. He's the first of many. We read this in verse 20. Or, well, let's read it. Yeah, I think we read it earlier. Now in verse 20 again. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. In other words, Paul is saying what happened to Jesus in His resurrection is going to happen to us too. And to everyone who believes in Him. In fact, it, it, goes, it goes even beyond that. This is, this is so wild and, and it's so inspiring to me and so comforting that it's going to happen to us. But it's also going to happen to creation, which is why Paul writes in Romans 8. Look at Romans 8.22. For we know that all creation, all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long, listen to this, for we long for our bodies, our bodies, not talking just about our spirits. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And he says, we too wait with uh, eager hope. There's that word hope. We wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children. Here it is again. Including the new bodies, the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. So when we were saved, we were given the hope of new bodies. Not just not just the hope of forgiveness in heaven when we die, but the hope of new bodies, resurrected bodies. He says, bodies released, did you catch that? Released from sin and suffering. I think that's fascinating. I think it's fascinating. The hope that God has for us in our salvation isn't heaven when we die, although, as I said, we get that. Listen to this. The hope of our salvation is this. It's a renewed restored, regenerated body that will never break down, will never get sick, will never get frail, 
will never die this body in a new, in a renewed, restored, and regenerated creation. The hope of a renewed, restored, regenerative, regenerated body in a renewed, restored, regenerated creation. That's part of the hope of our salvation. And all of that Jesus will bring to pass when He returns. And all of that was given to us when we were saved. Look at verse 23. We're in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But there is an order. To this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ. Will be raised when he comes back. That's the order. And that's why the resurrection is important. That's why he had to rise from the dead. To claim victory over death. And so that he would be the first fruits of many. Including us. We will be raised not to be angelic spirits. Floating on a cloud. Playing a harp. No, no, no. A thousand times, no. When we die, we're not angels in heaven. No, that's not what the hope of our salvation is. We will be raised to live forever in a real body, in a real world, doing real things that real human beings do without the curse of sin at work in us. That'd be great. Without the curse of sin at work in us, we're going to have a real body in a real world doing real things. It's going to be awesome. This is the way that God intended it at the beginning when He brought everything into existence. In fact, it's even better. Because Revelation 21, 4, John writes, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying, no pain. All these things are gone forever because the curse will have been removed. And this is guaranteed. This is guaranteed for those of us who are in Christ. It's guaranteed when Jesus, because Jesus rose from the dead. He's the first of many. That gives me a great deal of hope when I hear stories about tragedies in this world. When I hear about babies who die. Babies, babies shouldn't die. Shouldn't die. They die in accidents. When I hear about teenagers who take their own lives, that should not happen. Parents should not have to bury their children. There's a lot of pain, isn't there? There's a lot of brokenness in this world. When I when I hear stories of a, a wonderful marriage and family that suddenly falls apart because maybe there's there's adultery or maybe there's some. Uh, you know, some kind of betrayal. And, and suddenly this family that was doing so well, the kids are being taught God, about God and it just breaks apart. And that shouldn't happen. And it breaks my heart and I know it breaks God's heart. But the resurrection of Jesus gives me the hope that one day that kind of suffering, the worst kind of suffering, will be gone forever and ever. It's not a pipe dream, folks. It's not a pipe dream. It's not an empty promise. The seed of this has already been planted in the resurrected body of Jesus. That's why he rose from the dead. Let me give you one more implication from the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means that he's alive today. And this is fascinating. He's alive today in a glorified body in heaven. Because if you thought that when Jesus died, and he, 
came back to life, and then he went up to heaven. He went up to heaven and returned to a spirit form. That's not what we draw uh, from the scriptures. Somehow in a way that I, I don't understand. I confess I don't understand when Jesus returned to heaven. He went back in a body that was flesh and blood like our body. If you recall, if you know the story after the resurrection, he ate. We, we read about him eating with his disciples. This is in his glorified body. Now he himself said he was in a glorified body. He ate with his disciples. And so there's, it's a flesh and blood body. And yet it was different from ours. And it is different from ours. It was even different than the one he had before he died. Because now he had the ability to appear and disappear. To move you know, from the realm of the spirit world to the realm of the physical world. Back and forth. And that's the body that Jesus has to this day. And that's a body in which he will return to earth at some point in the future. As we read the scripture, we know he's coming back. And that's the same body. That's a body that we're going to follow him. In which we who follow him will see him for all eternity in that body. And so he's in a body, earthly body, alive, a glorified body, I should say. A glorified body in heaven. But here's, here's something else that I want to finish with. If you'll look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1.19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, He is far above any ruler or authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So he said, it's a resurrection that gives Jesus authority. But check this out, look at verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and has made Him head over all the things for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body. Did you catch that? And the church is His body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with Himself. So not only does Jesus have a literal body in heaven, but Paul is telling us now that he has a literal body on earth as well. People like you and me who have who come together to form his church, people who have surrendered their lives to to Christ and who have stepped across that line of faith and are living for him. We make up the church the universal church all over the world, and it's made visible by the local churches that we find in different cities and town, towns. We are the body of Christ here on earth. This theme is driven home over and over by Paul and other writers in the New Testament. So we're the body of Christ. So what are we to do then with this information, with these conclusions that we've drawn? I think there are several responses that need to be made this morning. And these are things that I'm going to challenge you to do. Some of us here today, some of us who are listening on the podcast or watching on Facebook, need to come to the place in our lives where we cross that line of faith and we say, you know what, I need to just say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I need to just believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. From, from the dead, I need to just do that. That should be your response for many of you. Maybe you're 
maybe you're the one who's saying, I've been coming to this church or I've been going to another church, you know, wherever you might be at this stage in your life. I've been hearing this stuff for years and years and years and I'm kind of on the fence. But today is the day. Today is the day that I will make that decision. I will declare with my mouth, with my mouth and believe in my heart. Jesus is Lord and He is risen from the dead. Maybe others of you here today need to borrow hope. Maybe many of us here today, we need to borrow hope from this incredible future that God has for us. This future that God has already began, begun to prepare for us and, and, and begin to get ready through the resurrection. We, we need to focus on this hope rather than to be drawn and to be sucked into the misery of life. Life is hard and sometimes we allow ourselves to be drawn into it and we're like, oh, you know, this, this is terrible and uh, this hopelessness and despair that I feel. Things are awful and they're getting worse. We can all get drawn into that because life is hard. But I, I think that many of us need to switch that around. And we need to borrow hope from the future. We need to allow the resurrection of Jesus and its implications, implications be, to become the core belief in our lives. Let it become the core belief in your life. Stake your claim on the gospel, which includes Jesus rose from the, from the dead. Stand firmly, take a stand firmly on the gospel, which includes the resurrection. Let that be the core belief. And so even when you're struggling, you're, you're going through something, you're saying, God, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for my, for my wife to leave me. I didn't ask for my son to rebel against me, to just go off and just begin to do crazy things. I didn't ask for that. And, and we, those things are painful. And we can be drawn into hopelessness. But I'm telling you, just switch it around and be drawn to hope. Be drawn to hope that if you trust Jesus, if you give your life to Jesus, not only will He help you as you go through the valley of shadow of death, but there's something great coming for us. And finally, some of us need to take seriously the authority of Jesus in our lives. He is Lord. He is Lord. He conquered death. He's Lord. And that means something to us. Now maybe you know what that means to you and you need to get serious about that. Maybe, maybe you need to take serious the body of Christ. Jesus says, the church, that's my body on earth. And we don't take seriously sometimes the body of Christ. Jesus, Paul says to the Ephesians that Jesus loved the church and he gave his life for it. But sometimes we don't love the church the same way that Jesus did. He's not asking us to die for the church. But he's just saying, get serious about the church. Get serious about attendance. Get serious about involvement. Get serious about commitment. Get serious about being engaged in the body of Christ here on earth. Finding a, a local uh, assembly, a local church. Maybe you need to take the body of Christ, the church, a little more seriously. Or a lot more seriously. Whatever your response might be, these three or something else that I hadn't thought of. I just want to challenge you today to consider how you can respond to the fact of the resurrection. I'm going to ask you to respond. To respond publicly. But first, I want us to pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for the power, for the wisdom, for the love, for the plan of how you've intervened in this world. God, I pray that today some of us who need to take that step of faith and say it's time, it's time, it's time for me to stop waffling, debating, do I get in, do I not? It's time to get in, Lord. Pray that those of us who need to say that, I'm going to make a decision this morning. Decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's Lord. He's risen from the dead. I believe that. And today I choose to follow him. I pray that you would help us to make that decision. Some of us today, God, we just need to stop being so focused on the pain that's right in front of us. We need to lift our eyes to see the salvation that's coming. It's guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection. Not to pretend that things are better than they are, but just to have a different hope in us. Some of us here today desperately need this. Somebody watching on Facebook desperately needs this. And I pray that they would say yes to that this morning. I pray that some of us would say yes to what it means for you to be the authority and Lord in our lives. For us to stop living as if there is no God and for us to stop living for you, following your direction, following your teachings, taking seriously the things you take seriously, taking seriously the church, which is a body of Christ. Maybe that's a decision we need to make. Help us to do that today, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name.